Hi folks, this is Alan Watt at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com Today is the 12th of April 2007 It's a damp, rainy day up here It snowed last night and turned to rain early this morning So the roads are all kind of mushy But that's the tail end of winter and winter likes to give us a few sprinkles before it really gets going in spring here. Mind you, in these days, it's difficult to know what's normal, what isn't normal, because we get new normals all the time. Everything becomes new with enough propaganda from enough sources all saying the same things, especially from experts. We can be convinced of anything until the bizarre is now normal. We know we're well under the way of weather warfare. It's been on for quite some time now, on a daily basis, with high-tech sciences. We have the spraying in the skies that go on across the planet daily. We couple that with the harp technologies that are being used, and sure enough, This is the big thing that H.G. Wells talked about A threat from out there Only he put it in An invasion by space aliens It's really to do with the use of weather You must have an enemy To bind the people together In a common cause As old Dewey said John Dewey He was the first one to talk about That in fact He said, if only we had a threat from out there somewhere, mankind would have to unite in a common cause. What it really meant was let the experts like himself, for instance, take over and run our lives for us. H.G. Wells just picked up on it and was told what to write, as all major authors are. And I will be going into a lot of that Which the public don't know about To do with how things really work As opposed to what you are trained to think how they work It's not a matter of just doing good stuff And writing and scribbling and sending it in to publishers It's often the other way around Where they will come to some people And tell them what to write Because all knowledge is part of control Knowledge is power In the 1800s, nearly 1900s There was a movement within the followers of Nietzsche And other similar type authors All involved in the the new Superman Type, the, the high intellectual, highly evolved, even evolution type, to do with how they speak and the words they use. And they brought out truth and untruth, knowing, unknowing, everything was un, the opposite was always un. And this is definitely being used today on a big scale. Knowledge is power They would call it unknowledge Or unknowledge really would be In their terminology Nonsensical Trivia Or fake knowledge Fake perhaps with a purpose And the purpose is to shape your mind Since every conclusion you will come to Depends on the data That you have access to In your life Coupled with your own experiences you will tend to come to the wrong conclusions if you've been fed nothing but irrelevant or misleading data. I guess they would say undata in that category. So when you realize that sciences, huge think tanks, thousands of them are used and every right across the planet, all affiliated by the great foundations, as they're called, the very wealthy foundations, 
where the members are, of course, are all members of Freemasonry. And they are the biggest corporate leaders uh, who act as CEOs of these big think tanks and so on. They're all interconnected. They all must shape the mind or the collective minds of the whole planet. So they'll all come to the same conclusions at the same time on pretty well every topic that's fed into us from the general media. That is the scientific technique that's been used consistently since the end of, at least the end of World War II, that we can document. We can document stuff through intensive research with little bits and pieces in various old books prior to World War II, but we do know that the OSS, which was a precursor of the CIA, which was started off by a British agent, basically gave a new culture for the Americas and they fund all that which gives you your thoughts which gives you your data and you acting like a computer have a logic and a language and you will therefore work your way like a mathematical sequence to the answer that was predetermined that you reach It is not difficult when you have, and you're in charge of the entire media. There is no free media out there, at least the large stuff, and even a lot of the alternate stuff too. They covered the bases. Total control means total control. When they said they'd bring out total information network systems of security, within the US and Canada and other countries they meant total total information network we hear things we don't think about them but we are told total is total that's why everyone's calls are being monitored and yes I know that all the little people at the bottom will say oh, I've got nothing to hide I don't care what they know about me they have no indignation at the loss of personal privacy because it's not a matter of what they claim they hear you say it's a matter that they're snooping on you on in the first place you should be indignant terribly, terribly indignant about that when you're not indignant you are a happy slave so yeah, they've been at this for a long, long time and Britain and the US made a special partnership even before the North Atlantic Treaty Organization was set up NATO NATO is a scrambled Aten the sun god that's why they called it NATO and if you look carefully at NATO's symbol it's actually a very modernized, stylized swastika Maggie Thatcher and other prime ministers are always giving this tongue-in-cheek quote our special relationship meaning with the US and vice versa Bush uses it the other way and that's what they're referring to as a special agenda that was worked out long ago to bring the world under a common system a common network of total complete control with different stages leading up to their grand finale which is not just a brain chip it's the next step once you're all chipped you won't care what kind of humans they make from you or from your body even by taking DNA and stem cells and all the rest of it you won't think at all, you see. So you're out the picture, and they can do what they want. That is the end goal: a world population of all the lesser beings, those haven't who haven't achieved success at the top. That proves to them, through their belief in evolution, that you simply can't go any further. 
you've come to the end of your gene pool. That's the kind of world they envisage as we entertain ourselves to death and mystify ourselves to death with speculation, much fantasy, lots of exoteric nonsense, which is, which is also put out there for you to gobble up. When I was small, I used to wonder, when you pass people, you'd listen to all them chattering. People used to chat a lot, they seemed to talk a lot. Some of the conversations were of import. Others were just irrelevant chatter, which is a human thing, where you get off stress, you allow stress to go off through irrelevant chatter. And I thought, if, if all the words that had ever been spoken on the planet could be strung end to end, how far out into space and back again would it reach? It would be phenomenal, and yet most of it would be irrelevant. But it's a, a normal trait to let things go by chattering away, you see. And the big boys know that, so they give us the topics to chatter about. They divert us in a thousand different ways. And now the world is in full swing, creating the, the whole global warming crisis, which is the real threat from out there, you see. That's what they're creating, is spray the skies, overheat the atmosphere, use harp technology to superheat it, which is exactly what Tesla talked about. And you're watching it happen, you're living as they're using this technology. You're watching the effects of it. They can make microbursts come down from the sky. A new phenomena, a new normal. I'll mention new normals quite often because everything is becoming new normal. Like autism, they used to be incredibly rare after all the vaccinations beginning, mainly around the 60s and onwards and speeding up, became phenomenal. So many are getting autism now after vaccination and as they give more and more vaccinations to the young, to even younger children, to their babies in fact, that is, is skyrocketed, it's incredible. And it sets in two weeks generally after the inoculations at two years of age. The new normal, you see. And then it's taught in the medical schools that this is normal. And those young ones growing up in the medical schools don't know what the old normal was, so they have nothing to compare it to. They come out of these schools chattering about normal and expecting one in five to have some kind of autism because attention deficit and all these brand new names that, that they've tossed around, which is now normal too, everyone uses them, they don't realize how recently that all came into fashion. It didn't happen before. So they're, and they're all degrees of autism in one form or another. That's all they are. They're the side effects of damage that's been done through targeting the brain by certain warfare techniques. The new normal. And with the new normal weather, where, my goodness, it's a panic, it's a crisis. And we'll all have to change our entire way of living and doing to survive on this little old planet. And we should go into these little areas, habitat areas, and live on top of each other. Or else, if you're very rich, you can get into one of the very good habitat areas where it's guarded to keep all the little people out, and you can live in luxury. So it's a, it's a class system habitat uh, area set up they've got set up already but what's new in the world eh? they used to always refer to the bad side of cities as the east side it's always the east end of any city the reason being that the wind blows all the pollution in the old days there was a lot of pollution from chimneys uh, coal burning chimneys from houses and it blew it all 
eastward to where the, the poor folk lived. That's why they put all the poor folk on the east side. Thomas Malthus, who came out with his essay on population, the economist in the 1700s, who advocated the culling off of, by humane methods, humane by his standards, being a good psychopath, that is, uh, of killing them off by even putting poor housing on swamplands and marshlands where disease would set in and, and they'd, they'd die off. And you wonder why the great wild or, or world wilderness federation and all the rest of them got in the act back in the back in the 70s, banging the drums for creating more wetlands and marshlands. Now you have more mosquitoes, which are also, by the way, modified. There's a, a laboratory in Bellwood, Ontario, that still, since World War II. It makes these big mosquitoes to carry a bigger load. The loading do- the dose of a disease is what's important. That's, that depend- that will decide where it takes off in your system or not. The loading dose. So they bred these big mosquitoes in Bellwood laboratories. And they take them down to a U.S. one off New York. And they've been doing that for a long, long time. One day they'll use them, if they haven't already. And we will have plague, famine, warfare, and all the rest of it. The weather going haywire at the same time, because we must get chaos before we can have order. Ordo ad chaos, as the Masons say. This is not... Pleasant news, but see, people have, been, people have been taught to be egocentric, and that was also advocated by people like Lord Bertrand Russell and others, and Skinner, the behaviorist, because they, they, they said if they can create egocentrism within people, they'll avoid that which is painful and look for pleasure so they give you all the things you pleasure about and you suck the television like it was some kind of teat as you take your downloads and your professionally organized data through comedies and movies and what's past as news and you avoid all the unpleasant things and even the unpleasant things which you'll show in the occasional media thing is wrapped in such surrealism it doesn't become real anymore it's a a form of disassociation it causes between fact and fantasy so those who seek pleasure which was the whole new age movement's uh, goal really and they're all taught that in all of the groups doesn't matter what name it's called of the group or guru school or whatever they're all taught just coincidentally of course that they should avoid negativity and avoid negative people and that is the first step towards losing your survival capabilities because the first thing is to always look around you it's like being on a train track and playing a, a Walkman on your headset and never looking back until you get hit with the train. Then they'll cry and say, what happened? Where did this come from? That's the technique that's being used. I don't want to know what's on television now. You have seen warfare carried out, absolute warfare, and the targets don't even know the war was on. Because when they brought it in gradually, it became ultimately a new normal. When you're bringing people through the greatest change, 
in a long period of history, maybe even the greatest change. You don't want an intelligent, comprehending, thinking, well-educated population. You want your enemy to be dumber than the previous generations, less educated in those things that matter. They're not taught logic in school and reasoning and critical thinking, analysis. Individualism has been abolished pretty well in the classroom because it's generally the individual that sees a different perspective on things, not the group. Now the group must come to consensus in this classroom or the individual be shunned until he stops being an individual and becomes part of the group. We are all one. Psychological warfare is not a new thing. The ancient priesthoods who studied the movements of comets used to use them against the populations when the next one was coming or an eclipse was coming terrify the public by saying my goodness if you don't pray and pray and of course they would take all the offerings that were given for, and, and just to keep it for the God you understand whatever God it was and then the thing would the sky would get dark and the people would moan and get dropped to their knees the priests would do some little dance wave a bit of incense around and lo and behold the sun came out again the eclipse was over but the ignorant public thought the priests had done it very simple trick knowledge is power knowledge is power and those who have power never really want to share it you see so similar tricks can be passed on we're simply using more advanced technologies now with the weather control for instance to create effects special effects on the planet not difficult to do when you have such massive air forces they must have been building extra aircraft for a long long time and must have been making all of this stuff they've been spraying heavily since 98 in, in Ontario for instance I know it's been earlier in some parts of the US they must have been storing this stuff up and making it for years and years and years and it must be made by the big chemical companies that we're so familiar with because of their previous legacies like Agent Orange etc I have an email from Phil from Rochester who was talking about this the weather and he said he agrees with me he also thinks maybe the sun is causing the warming and he mentions uh, that uh, the experts again are expecting more huge solar flares over the next several months now we don't know if that's true or not because you can tell us anything unless you have these telescopes with uh, welders goggles on uh, you, you can't really see them however if you have shortwave radio you know when there's solar flares because you get bad reception that's a good way to tell if it's really happening or not because I've heard before when they say these, these solar flares are coming out and when the shortwave stations are coming in just like FM as clear as FM radio you know that they're just playing you along here and he goes on to say the sun is a, is a slightly variable star and it's true variable stars do give off more flares and some less flares depending on how it feels at the time and he says another thing that I don't hear anything about these days is that only 30 years ago all the experts were saying that we were on the verge of plunging into the extreme cold of another ice age and that's true in fact uh, one of the greatest howlers about that back then 
and who wrote a book about the coming Ice Age, is now churning out books on global warming and how we're all going to be fried. I don't know if you had any shares and stocks to do with fur back then, because everyone, everyone's getting terrified about, oh my goodness, we're going to get frozen to death. And they're all buying all this survival stuff and heavy-duty parkas and that to survive all this, and it just didn't happen. And now I guess the whole thing is to buy fans and things to make ice cubes. But yeah, the, the same crew that were shouting and howling about it then, and the UN was giving out this stuff too back then, 30 years ago. The same experts were telling us we're going to be frozen to death. But now it's, it's easier to fry us with the technology. You see, it's much easier to fry us. Now, they, had, they knew back in the, the 1950s they could spray the sky. An inventor, the inventor of the H-bomb actually was a guy who came forward and first proposed that they spray the sky with certain types of chemicals which would cut sunlight. This for warfare purposes to be used over entire countries and even continents. But after testing it, they found out it was easier to build up heat by doing that because with polymers that's the kind of almost plasticky barrier film clear, almost clear barrier film polymer like uh, they use on insulation for homes that's how the sky seems that's the polymer you're seeing from the spraying uh, it also contains minute particles of metals and metallic particles they act like billions of mirrors all reflecting the sun back and forth so they keep the heat in and people will notice that when they're spraying heavily it gets warmer and then of course they can blame global warming and our pollution for doing it it's quite the act isn't it the wizard of Oz the little man behind the curtain the scientist doing their alchemy in the sky every day and the media won't even talk about it when they won't talk about something so obvious to a sentient being then you know they're up to no good this should of course be obvious to everyone and it is a surprise to those who wake up to find out that very few people ever even glance at the sky winter or summer people in rural communities are more apt to do so because I think living amongst real nature brings back all of those survival capabilities you want to know what kind of day it is now you can't really tell well you can actually you, you can tell when they're spraying heavily with what color of spray or what shade of spray what they're going to give you that day once in a while when they start with the very dark sprays uh, and you'll see lines of the trail coming down through clouds of these dark ones it cuts right through the cloud and comes downwards and the more of that you see happening in an evening you know that they're making a storm and you'll get high winds coming in which they now call microbursts these brand new, again, new normal phenomena and we adapt to it very quickly we we'll listen to little blurbs on news of a few years ago when the first micro downburst came out of the blue and demolished the upper floor of a big building in Toronto and you couldn't explain it, it was just a new normal and then we, then we got uh, this other one that, that would cut swaths a huge straight swath right through a forest straight as a die and totally unlike a twister, a tornado but everything in its path would be just flattened and it would go on for miles sometimes and that was a new normal too now it's normal. These little things are normal. There's no questions about them. We don't have to question them. So getting back to this little email that Phil sent about the from the ice age to the to the roasting age. She said, I remember taking a trip down to the Smithsonian Institution back in the spring of nineteen seventy eight just after we had three of the coldest winters on record and they had a huge wall size bar chart huge one 
showing one and all how within the next decade or so we were just about ready to plunge over the precipice and fall directly down into the next planetary ice age. It was all there in brilliant colors and carefully arranged graphics and the way that they had it shown, well, it made you really believe them. Funny how we don't hear about any of this these days. And that's a fact. Because it's easier to create global warming, you see, than to change their, the direction they were going in. And it's good that some people like Phil and others have a memory, because most people do not have a memory. They adapt to the new normals without thinking or questioning. They don't think it odd that one day you're going to freeze to death, the next day you're going to roast to death. But any excuse for big governments to set in an agenda of a completely new way of living will be used and are being used to shape our minds and bring us to their conclusions. The children who will grow up and through a lot of this are being completely brainwashed in the schools. It's difficult for a child to discern. See, young mammals of any kind look towards adults, the older ones, to be given signs of that which they should be wary of or scared of or mistrustful of. And if the parents don't know, and most of them don't, that most of what they think is reality is planned fiction, then they still have respect for teachers. They're given that at school through a discipline, although albeit loose, is still generally greater than that which they have at home nowadays, thanks to Dr. Spock, who, after beating the drum on how to let children do whatever they wanted to do for a long time, just before he died, he said, we have risen up a nation of psychopaths. Gee, what a surprise! but the teachers will have some authority. So the children who do look towards the older ones for authority and for advice, listen to the teachers, and it would never dawn on them that they could be lied to or that getting brainwashed through propaganda. It doesn't dawn on them at all. And they're told what they're told in school, and they take it all factually, believe every little bit. They see all these specially created videos. They play them in school with crisis, crisis, crisis. And they'll show you them some, some rotten tree somewhere, it's just rotten away, and say, that's pollution that caused that. That was people that caused that. And the fact is, you can go through any major forest. See, the people in cities now think that a forest is like their local park, these, these man-made parks, where you can walk through and there's lots of room. They don't realize that if they go into real forest, you can't walk through it like that. You'd have to cut your way through because there's thousands of trees growing up in short areas all competing to get up there to the light. And they die all the time and new ones are born all the time. It's the way it goes. But how you can distort reality by giving them the local parks was well maintained and they think, yeah, forest is a beautiful place. You just walk through, you stroll casually through or ride your bike through and how you can alter perception so easily. And as Plato said, it would be the cities, the beehives, that would drive the changes because it's easier to control the minds of those in cities than those scattered around the country. Mind control. Creating new norms. So, we have new normal weather with new normal strange phenomena which the experts aren't worried about the downburst and that they're just, well, you know we have the satellite images that used to be very clear showing your countries, your continents now becoming fuzzy because they've lowered the resolution on them to try and hide all the spraying trails you're going to see which did, did first appear actually a few years ago when they first showed us the satellite photographs.
Now they've lowered the resolution to make it look more like clouds. A new normal. Done through science and conology. After all, as I said in the great movie, fantastic movie that everyone should see, I think if you want to show a good movie in school, show Wag the Dog. And remember that famous statement as they watched their con being pulled off on television to millions of viewers. See, it must be true. It's on TV. Simple. How simply they guide us all. Along a path predetermined by themselves at the top to their perfect brave new world a term coined a couple of thousand years ago and then rehashed many times over a brave meaning they would alter the society and direct and plan society that's what it really meant initially they, the big elite of the day would do so rather than have it haphazard and boy and girl meeting each other and just having offsprings willy nilly that was just too messy and too untidy not controlled enough control going back to being trained to be egocentric, look at the positive deny the negative don't look at the negative ignore it it's a very good psychological technique of control people used to say that socialism ultimately when you understand what it really really is not what you are trained to think it is what it really is, which is really apart from the fact it, it's not a separate party from the right wing either, it's a tool of the right wing. The right wing and the left wing really belong to the same bird. And the real head of the bird is always behind a shield on their coats of arms. Arnold Toynbee who took over from his father of the same name at Oxford University who advised governments and high think tanks working with government on a lot of the mind control and the future of civilization and who also taught the Rhodes Scholars Rhodes Scholars are trained in world government they have been since Cecil Rhodes died and left the will for the Rhodes Scholarships eventually managed by Lord Milner that came in and joined his round table group with them the Royal Institute of International Affairs which is scattered all over the planet with their CFR branch in the US which every major character is a member and definitely also in all major media if you notice and remember Bill Clinton after his Lewinsky affair which was good drama for the public they like a good sexy thing good sex drama um, you'll notice that, that he was first, first called up not to appear in front of the American people on what was going on with his shenanigans and his cigars but he was first called to speak to the Council and Foreign Relations on this matter I thought at the time it's not enough to wake people up to at least the fact that why, why would he be going to like a schoolboy to the Council and Foreign Relations which is a non-political organization and that is true they, they plan an agenda they plan your future they don't play politics politics is a lesser part for the public to gobble up and to keep them believing that well, just vote the next bunch in it will be better so they, no he was called up in front of the council on foreign relations to answer for his you know what affairs 
and ways of unique ways of blowing smoke spring, uh, rings. I often wonder if it's Havana cigars he had. They're banned everywhere else in the U.S., so it probably was because of old Castro. A little article in The Economist in the print edition from March 29th, 2007. It goes like this. Few people cared about the European Union's 50th birthday party but apathy has its consolations. Nobody has a good word for apathy. Arnold Toynbee, a historian, <laughs> like to just give you a little bit, he was a historian. He was the Carl Quigley of his time, also working for the British government, as well as Oxford. Thought it defined the penultimate stage of decadence. Civilizations proceed, he said, from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, and from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to apathy, from apathy to dependency. That's where we are now. And from dependency back to bondage. But we're actually going, we're actually under bondage too. Apathy is also anti-democratic. Democracy requires the informed consent of the governed. It doesn't mean they understand it. They've been told, and we are told everything in such a way that legally they did tell us. It's just that it's not put in such a fashion that you really necessarily understand it. And it's not put across as something you're supposed to remember. Because they tell us by hype what we're supposed to remember and what is important. And they could tell you something very, very important, casually, and if you don't stress the importance of it themselves, then we won't reason it out for ourselves. It's as simple as that. Europe's leaders also fret, this is the same article from the Economist print edition, Europe's leaders also fret that apathy is anti-European. Popular indifference, they fear, leaves the European Union's institutions vulnerable to the gusts of popular indignation. Their worry is understandable. The polling evidence, for what it is worth, shows that people who say they know a lot about the EU, Economic Union, tend to support it. So polls, remember, were first put out by Britain in World War I to con the public into going along with something the idea being that the masses tend to go along with the pop what they think is popular they're not individuals amongst the mass so they want to go along with what's popular they want to pack the, basically back the winner so they, they, don't, um, they don't reason things out for themselves and they believe the polls that's what the polls are for is to give you uh, a belief in something which generally is untrue they're used for psychological warfare purposes there's actually books out on it that you can you can find in the libraries those old dusty places that no one goes anymore and gather where, where books gather dust and those who know nothing about the EU and care less tend to be Eurosceptics. So governments and public institutions naturally seek to combat Euroapathy. There must be a new flu. Euroapathy. As much as they can. By public relations campaigns. Well, you see here, that's a little bit of truth. They do massive public relations campaigns. That sort of rah-rah thing and how well we're all doing. You see, being managed by uh, an elite new parliament which is over there somewhere away from you very far away and they do this by exhortations that Europe must dream Jacques Delors' admonition against indifference or by stunts such as last weekend's birthday bash in Berlin to mark the 50th anniversary of the US the EU's founding Treaty of Rome (laughs) ha 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 the Treaty of Rome was only one part of the plan to integrate us all into this system. It was a kind of official double-edged sword 
meaning they spoke with forked tongue, as a white man often does. They gave one formality to the public without telling them the whole agenda. It was just to be a, well, it was going to be an economic thing where we just traded better with each other. While the Club of Rome that was behind a lot of it, the old Bilderbergers, had set it up, the real agenda up themselves. At least in the initial planning stages, they had massive bureaucracies working for them. You'll find they set up the bureaucracies and departments of governments in 1948, although it was really signed back in 1945, this, this whole part of the agenda. So the Club of Rome, and then, then, then the actual Treaty of Rome, was uh, a later thing, a later pretense for the public to swallow. This goes on to say, this article, if apathy were indeed a threat to European integration, there would seem to be much reason to worry. Apathy is lolling about everywhere. Voter turnout has fallen in every election to the European Parliament since the institution was created. In the most recent one, in 2004, it slumped below 50%, a lower rate than India's parliamentary polls. The gap between turnout and in national elections and in European ones is widening, so the problem seems especially acute for the EU. Britain's Prime Minister Tony Blair has a website where people can file online petitions. Yes, right, complain to them. It is an unscientific measure of popular concerns, but intriguing nonetheless. A recent petition asked, asking Britain to hold a referendum on any EU constitution got a few thousand electronic signatures. One opposing road pricing got a few million. It is hard to measure the degrees of apathy non Anecdotally, because people tend to react badly to polling questions such as, do you care two hoots about the EU? But lack of knowledge might be taken as a proxy for lack of concern. Here too, the evidence is discouraging. Some three quarters of Europeans asked to rate their own knowledge of the EU say it is modest or non-existent, and this share is not rising, but falling. Yet, is it really true that apathy is an obstacle to European integration? A certain amount of apathy is understandable, perhaps inevitable. The EU's institutions are remote and deliberately complex. That is true. It is deliberately complex. That's why we don't understand what's really going on. It says deliberately in the sense that they seek to balance pan-European decision-making with national checks and balances. I guess what they really mean by that is you're paying the checks and it knocks you off balance. Most voters have no idea who represents them in the European Parliament and would not recognize a European commissioner if one turned up on their doorstep. There are also reasons why apathy might have grown. Historically, the term entered common use after the First World War when it was associated with shell shock and depression. The EU is suffering from the bombshell when French and Dutch voters rejected the draft constitution in 2005. It can also be argued that economic sluggishness and high unemployment, at least until the current recovery, <laughs> recovery, it's just a mark on a book, we've now recovered, have led to a continent-wide depression. More important, apathy has its compensations, especially for Europhiles. A Europhile. Hmm. That's a file that diddles with young Euros. Without it, European integration would not have gone as far as it has. What a joke. You had no option. There was almost no debate about the content of the Constitution in the referendum campaigns in Spain or Luxembourg, which approved it by wide margins. The voters who looked most closely at the text were in France and the Netherlands. Similarly, Britain debated the merits of the single currency more extensively than any other country, but Britain stayed out while others adopted it without discussion. That's because the big boys were paid off and were members of certain institutions and organizations. 
European integration can proceed without popular enthusiasm because of its character. The EU has a large regulatory component and much integration proceeds through rules-based cooperation. Isn't that beautiful, that term they come up with? Rules-based cooperation. The rule being that you don't tell the truth to the public and we'll all cooperate in keeping it secret. Rules and technical standards are peculiarly unsuited to mobilizing popular opinion, whether for or against. Most people are content to leave them to experts. The experts, remember the Bertrand Russell experts, the Society of Experts. Integration by regulation proceeds under the voters' indifferent gaze. In that sense, apathy is the Europhile's best friend. Angela Merkel, the German Chancellor, has learned this lesson. The Berlin Declaration to mark the 50th birthday was written in secret. Ha, 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 ha. What's new? What's new? Hmm? And signed only by the EU's own representatives. Miss Merkel, as holder of the EU presidency and the heads of the European Commission and Parliament, it seems likely that any revised constitutional treaty will also be cooped up in semi-secret. Well, wonder why they're apathetic about that, eh? with the aim of ratification by national parliaments. They're also paid off. Not referendums, let sleeping voters lie. But there's a further manifestation of apathy to consider, a behavioural condition associated with it known as learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. Oh, what are you suffering from? I've got learned helplessness. In 1965, a psychologist, Martin Seligman, Subjected two groups of dogs to electric shocks. He was a sweetheart, this guy Seligman. Yeah? Another psychopath. The first group could end the punishment by pressing a lever. These dogs recovered quickly. In a subsequent experiment, they learned to avoid further shocks by jumping a low wall. The second group had a lever that did nothing. A placebo lever. Lever, there you go. Placebo lever. They became apathetic and in the subsequent experiment simply cowered on the electrified floor. Imagine, being, imagine you couldn't get out of that on an electrified floor. So no matter what you did, you just got shocked. Yeah. Ah, disgusting, disgusting creatures these psychopaths are. Uh, unable to escape the shocks, they had learned helplessness. Hmm. Uh, you know where tax money funds this kind of stuff? And what they learn is ultimately used on us to control us. Do you realize that? Ah, it's a horror show. In Europe, uh, the treaties of the Maastricht and Nice were rejected by Danish and Irish voters, only to be largely implemented later. If the constitution is successfully revived, a big if, it would continue this pattern. Some EU leaders may hope that, if they do this often enough, apathetic voters learn that they are helpless to stop further integration even when they want to so there's your little blurb which in itself, the way it's worded is a downer is meant to make you feel more apathetic because it doesn't give you any answers to it in fact in a sense it's pointing out between the lines that there are no uh, usual answers to it the usual answers are gone because this was planned as a must-be and you were getting it rammed down your throats regardless. So that's my very rushed blurb tonight. I don't know if you hear the rain outside because I'm using a new microphone that was sent to me by James down in Florida and I really thank him for this mic. It's very sensitive. It may even pick up my fridge I don't know, I'll see after this talk tonight. But it's a goodie, it's a goodie, goodie. And I got to thank him profusely for this microphone working really, really well. And if it wasn't for friends, what would you do? Because we certainly have none in governmental institutions. So from a cold, well not too cold actually, soggy night, in Canada I hope you all do your studying and you learn something and you stop allowing yourself to be herded and sheep herded into a thousand different diversions because the move is on 
the move is on people are truly waking up all over the globe a little light goes on here and there and here and there and, over and somewhere else and this is how changes changes begin but you have to have the, the real facts to back you up not all the fake ones too there's a lot of fake facts put out for you to jump a hold off on and and believe that you have leaders leading the opposition remember they always give you the leaders to follow don't follow me I don't know what I'm doing half the time I wander around here and I seldom comb my hair unless I have to go out and even then I'm halfway down to where I'm going before I remember to do it but this has to be out now for the younger generation we can't dump all this on them they have no chance we have to alter all this stuff and rethink what life is all about we've got to rethink all of that not the 85 system we're trained from birth to go into from me and Hamish it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you and all these new norms start remembering what they really are they're not normal at all normal is just what you've been led to recently expect Sugar in 